And also, and we were, we we're just digging through childhood trauma at this point. I also remember in primary school, my brother Chris got uh, hair under his arms before I did. And I was very upset about that. And oh. he got deodorant before I did. Ah. Horrible. It was, it was a, late, a late bloomer, and that's okay. <laughs> and I had to wear a vest to school until primary five. And none of my brothers had to. Wait, why? I don't know. I was gay. That's clearly what influenced it. You had to wear a vest to school until primary five. I did, yes. Underneath my, my garments, I had to wear it until primary five. And my younger brothers it, did not. And it was just like your family was like laying the law down. Or was it your personal, a personal... A choice was this? No, no, no. Uh, just you. You were dedicated to the sweat, the, the sweat life. Sorry, <laughs> the vest life. No, no. This was this was my mum, who I'm pretty sure was just wanting to make sure I was warm enough. Oh, okay. And so, I mean, that's the only reason I can so come feeble, up with. Feeble, feeble. Colin must be. Warm. He he needs more help. But then, of course, when you went to the gym hall in primary school, and you know, all the boys getting changed. I'm the one who's like taking my t-shirt off and I've got a vest underneath and everyone's like, well, hey, Colin's got a vest on. What a nerd. <laughs> and I was very sad. I did not have a good time in school at all. That is upsetting because you should be allowed to wear a vest if you want to wear I a know, vest. but when you're nine years old, you don't know that. I know. You don't. <laughs> and you also don't know the, the right answer when someone comes up to you and says, hey, Colin, you dropped your gay card. And I said, I, you never knew at that point. Do I look down? Do I just maintain a steely gaze? No, you you say you just pat your you pat your back pocket and you say, "No way. <laughs> I would never drop my gay card. It's glued to me at all times." The other one that we got in, in our school, which again, I'm convinced the kids had no idea what they were saying, was, "Are you a virgin?" Oh yeah, that one that one went around, yeah. And I again could not figure out what the right answer was. I did not know if it was a yes or a no. Well, that's that's a weird one <laughs> because I think at a certain age, saying no is the embarrassing answer, and then at a certain age, saying yes is an embarrassing answer when it comes to like what society expects of you as a human being. Pretty sure we were in primary four. Exactly. So I'm pretty sure you saying no would have been the bad answer, even for a bunch of primary four idiots. <laughs> But you, you never know. Whatever I would have said, Ryan McLeod still would have laughed and pushed me against the wall anyway. I wonder how he's doing. I think he joined the army. Oh, classic. Which checks out. <laughs> that, that would make a lot of sense. Police, oh, maybe. My. Army. Yeah, maybe. How was, how was your school days? What were they like? Uh, Did you have to wear a vest? I, I don't think I had to wear a vest. Um, I, don't, I don't fondly look back at my school days at all. Um, no. Not, not really. Um, I was a weird kid for sure, a bit too loud and annoying for sure. Uh, but I was hanging. I was like neither popular nor unpopular. Okay, but definitely I do not like the person I was. Well, that's fair. I, I think for myself, I'm, I'm yeah. Again, I covered up a lot of what was going on internally by just being the class clown at every possible opportunity. Yeah, I was uh, chatting with Thomas Hind this week, recollecting our our days at uh, the summer youth camps at the Free Church. Oh run. yes, those wonderful days. <laughs> Indeed, and I was basically just attempting to make people laugh constantly, even though I knew it wasn't really working and people were laughing at you, it was mm. still like, aha, well, at least I'm getting attention. Yes, at least I am being noticed. Which is, uh, I mean, if we were about to start the show, it would be a great way to link into Insulate Britain, but we're uh, yet to get to that point. So <laughs> let's uh, let's crack on. Seesaw Parade, episode 268. Wow. I'm Colin and he is James. Wow. What a big number. <laughs> it's huge. Almost like the big number I'm about to turn this Sunday, which I'm pretending is not happening. Very, very scary day. It's like a little bit 
in that it, you know it's just it is just a number but it's the, it's the first number of the two which is changing yeah, that's rare uh yes yes listeners i'm turning 40 <laughs> wow <laughs> telling a telling a joke makes it so much better <laughs> yeah and i've been told by you know so many people mainly people in their 60s oh it's great your 30s are great yeah but as we've talked about before, I feel I wasted the vast majority of my twenties, and so I I'm not really feeling it. No, but to that's be what that's what's that's what's all right. I think I think you can have your peak years in any decade. Some people won't truly find themselves until they're like retired, and then they get to have their best years, and that's all right. Yeah. Um. So long as you as you aim to spend your time as well as you can, you're doing quite well. And y- y- thirty isn't really that anything. I, I'm definitely of the opinion that there's a lot of people, especially in our generations, who are only really having the opportunity to freely express themselves once their 30s are, are, okay. are, are there. Well, that's a very optimistic take. I appreciate that. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it, as always, as well as those of you who got in touch. We have yeah. a listener review this week, which I am very grateful for. I also had the threat of a listener review, which was uh, from Luke, who's in the, the north of England, Okay, who said, I'm going to write you a review. You have to read it out uh-huh. in your best English accent, as I've heard you do. Particularly on last week's show, but you gotta you gotta specify the accent. Well, see, he lives in Morecambe. Now that is a tricky exactly. accent to do, and he's like from Kendall, which is near Carlisle, so it's not quite he's just doxing this dude. Right, right. Essentially, I can give you his address. His street address <laughs> is one two eight. <laughs> he runs a shoe shop. Yeah, so uh, there's there's lots of um, different parts to that review. I would much prefer it. Um, in audio form, but if you would like me to read it in an English accent or any accent that's okay, yeah, within reason, nothing racist, I will, I will happily do that. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for that. Look, look forward, uh, looking forward to uh, hearing what review you uh, you fire our way, and we will hear from Amel later on, who has finished a TV show that you would like us all to hear about. So look forward to that. Excellent. Oh, wait, so did I. Let me add it to the oh, great. To the run order. Okay, uh, Seesaw Parade is, of course, your new favourite podcast, Scotland's least dull podcast, and the longest running season one of any news slash politics slash entertainment slash sports slash childhood trauma podcast in existence, <laughs> and officially less popular yep. than laptop sales in Uganda. Brought to you by... Cat food and hashtag ad and sale uh, and stale flapjacks, which I polished off just before the start of the show. Also, wait, no, now it sounds like I eat the cat food because you definitely are the one eating the flapjacks. Yeah. Also, sir, just a complete side note: I uh, before the podcast had to go out and send a Donald Trump mask for guaranteed next day delivery to someone on eBay who really, really wanted it and paid me twenty seven quid they're for just, the pleasure. Desperate to get their Halloween costume together. Oh, he was he was desperate, man. Honestly, amazed that the hard part to find was the Donald Trump mask. <laughs> but also, it's a Friday before Halloween, and this is the time you think, "Oh, hold on a second. If I really want to get this Donald Trump look together, I should probably get a mask." It's the 29th. Maybe maybe they'd spent the entire year preparing, trying to get overweight, getting a really bad tan, <laughs> and like. Letting their hair fall out and and then dying at the right yeah. wheat c- color, 
Um, but they just didn't quite meet their goals, so they're going to mask. They're going to mask instead of going for the real thing. Okay. Uh, and uh, before we start the show, of course, you can get in touch at Seesaw Parade on Twitter, seesawparade at gmail.com, as uh, a couple of people have done this week. One of them was offering to put ads in the show, but of course, wow. we are too important too cool for and that. moral for that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you will not hear any adverts from Inkle, the new news aggregator app, which you can get on the you app store. You better bleep that. You better bleep that. You better bleep all the brands we're naming. <laughs> yeah, we will not be doing that anytime soon. So uh, thank you very much for, for everyone who got in touch and let's crack on, James. Let's talk wait, about... Wait, wait. We also we also did <sighs> get on. Twitter botties. Oh, we did. Oh, yeah. So, right. So, first of all, which is apparently invisible to you, but not to me. So, this is not coming up in my feed at all. That's crazy to me. So, I must have a like a quality filter. Yeah. Where clearly my app just recognizes the replies we got were from a bot farm. So, of some kind, yeah. So, so yeah, we we I believe tweeted with the phrase COVID restrictions yeah. uh, over the weekend for the last episode and got two responses from the same bot account. Did you actually respond to it? No, I, I wanted to, but I couldn't be bothered. I, it was just because both the tweets were both were very embarrassing. So I was like, oh, there's so many jokes and I couldn't choose which one to go for. Do you think what I find really interesting is that someone has taken the time to set up that account, to set up all the tweets, to set up the fact that it will respond to any tweet in the world with that yeah. phrase in it. And then people respond to it, and people clearly follow it. It actually gets engagement. I can't believe it. It was so apparently not a human. <laughs> but people people love it. Ugh. So have a peek. Pop, pop into our timeline. See if you can find the bot. We can aggregate a list of people who it's invisible to, and people like me who got an, a little bit of a giggle from it. Okay, right. Let's actually start the show then and talk about okay. Insulate Britain. Okay, James, these uh, these guys have been around yeah. for a few weeks now. We were yet to talk about it, so I figured this was the time because uh, the protests have been continuing. COP26 is just about to start in Glasgow, uh, so let's start here then. Right. A couple, a couple of days ago, uh, th- these are the, the protesters who have been gluing themselves mainly to roads, uh, and then a court down in England decided to mm-hmm. ban them from doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they've continued to do that. Right. And there have been more more incidents today. So let's uh, just start with earlier in the week. They glued themselves to some major roads connecting the M25 motorway. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50 demonstrators were arrested. Numerous people were squirted in the face with ink, which looked incredibly nasty. Right. And uh, then we had today, this is Friday, uh, some more protesters who, instead of gluing themselves to the roads, have been walking down the side of the motorway, the same M25, I should say. Right. And uh, this is after the fact that they have apparently had conversations with road users, feedback, as they say, uh, from people who are very frustrated uh, to the to the fact that they are... Very people who are upset, yes. To the fact that they are being delayed and that there have been some clips on the likes of uh, LBC and other radio stations where you clearly have some very upset people. Right. And then some other people who, for, for example, are saying, hey, my mother is in hospital. I really support your cause, but can you please move out the way? Indeed. So, yes. James, let's talk about, the first First of all, the uh, initially Britain to start with. I thought that this was a like a spin-off of Extinction Rebellion. It's not. Right. This is basically, what. from what I gather, their 
are calling on the government to, well, as the name suggests, insulate Britain. Which kind of it kind of sounds a little bit like they want fewer immigrants. It did. It, <laughs> it, the name initially tickled me as like, a, oh no, is this another one of those groups? Yeah. So so so. To me, it's a case of, oh, we need to put more stuff in our houses to make them warmer. Therefore, it is, we yes. save, everyone saves more money and uh, we keep people... We're more energy efficient right. and therefore the world dies less. Which, which is a good cause to be supporting. Yeah, they did come up out of nowhere, though. I was very surprised by them. Absolutely. So let's talk about the, the tactics, okay? Because, again, I've seen uh, the, the the footage of people yeah, gluing themselves to the roads and they're, they're there for several hours. They all get arrested and then repeat until a court tells them to stop doing it. What do you think of how that works and how that's been received? Well, it's been received as you'd expect, right? A bunch of headlines, a bunch of angry people, but everybody knows what NCLA Britain is now and what their cause is. So overall, I would say they've probably met their goal of being heard very quickly. Um, I don't agree with some of their methods. I think that if you are going to be blocking roads and stuff, you still need to be able to let, let's say, certain emergency vehicles through, yep. like, let's say, an ambulance. I feel like we always need to have in mind that there are going to be uh, emergencies that we need to be able to get out of the way for. And you see that happening in protests that are a little bit more organized elsewhere. So you, even if you've got thousands of people blocking a street, you'll still see an ambulance being able to get through. Yeah. So that's about as, as far as I can complain. I feel like blocking roads is fine. I always say that I'd prefer it if you blocked specific corporations okay. or the people in charge of stuff and annoyed their days rather than just annoying random people's days. Um, but blocking roads, it gets your headlines. You Getting headlines means that your message goes out there. And the government has to talk about what you're doing, even if they're talking about it like these people are just entitled little idiots and we're going to shut them down. Yeah. So to me, there's there's two areas of this. The first one is about the attention it's got. And I agree to that end. It has been a success because now people know who they are. Yeah. And now people are essentially turning up at the protest they're doing and retaliating. So we've seen, as I saw yesterday, some random dude in England who just had a big squeezy bottle of ink and shot it all in their faces, which... Yeah, it did look unpleasant. He may well have the police knocking his door very soon. He probably will, yeah. Like, Counter-protests, they, they have to be done the right way as well. That was not the right way. <laughs> Indeed. So I understand from that aspect, you want to get some notoriety, you want to get some attention, right. do something like that, fine. However, I agree it's the method in which is failing to get any sort of mainstream support. And I would contrast that with a couple of things. So the first one being Extinction Rebellion, who are the uh, climate change protest group who are calling on the government to do all sorts of things. They will often go to, for example, the headquarters of McDonald's or mm-hmm. outside uh, Faz Lane or Babcock yeah. Recythe, where you know nuclear submarines and right. all sorts of heinous practices are going, and they will chain themselves to the gates. That stuff... Fine, because you are targeting specifically the government who you're actually wanting to sit up and pay attention to do something. The problem with Inshallah Britain gluing themselves to major roads is that you just annoy everybody and no one sits there and says, you know what, good for them. I'm glad I'm three hours late for whatever I was going to. That's totally fine. And so that's right. that's what the difference is for me. That's a bit of a specific target audience there. They're not trying to convince the motorists that they're in the way of that they're doing the good thing. They're trying to convince the government and 
the legislators and the general population that this is something you need to care about. Not agree with them over, but something that we need to talk about. Right, but the general population, I don't feel, will agree it's something they need to talk about because they're not being won over in any way You're not going to win them over. If you're not won over by climate stuff and by insulation stuff and by generally taking care of stuff just by existing in the modern age, you're not going to be won over by the right protest at this point. The protests have a different goal. Those are two very different areas. Now, I know there are tenuously linked climate change and, and insulating houses, but to your average man on the street, those are two different things. So I had, for example, I agree. Insulate Britain, make us more energy efficient. Absolutely. Yeah. Do I yeah. feel it's the thing which is going to save the planet? No, I don't. No, no. I feel that but... things that other people are calling for are much better. Yeah, but we can call for a lot of things all at once, right? And that's fine. Um, and all they have to do as a protest group, which I'm assuming they've got some massive backing or someone behind the scenes who's must making this possible because are, they're, there's a lot of them all of a sudden. But their goal isn't to convince people to do things by popular vote or anything like that. That's not going to work. Their goal is to cost more money as a problem than it would cost just to do the thing that they're asking for. And the government doesn't have to be like, all right, we capitulate, they win, we'll do the insulation. The government can just do the insulation and the group will go away. Uh, that can be their that can be their goal and that's fine. This is what I'm I'm arguing against is this idea that a method of protesting is necessarily not fine. Fine is the baseline. If you're protesting something and you're getting in the way of the day-to-day in-goings and outgoings of the country, that's a protest and that's legitimate and that's fine. Okay. Like, I take a a bit of a stance against blocking emergencies and stuff. I don't want someone dying of a stroke they didn't need to die of. But my my, my Um, point is... But baseline protest, get in the way of roads, that's fine. And then if you target specific corporations, you're doing a lot more than fine. You're doing really well. My my point is, something like, for example, the single-use plastic bill... And the fact that basically everywhere you go for food nowadays will give you a paper straw was largely down to the public backing. The fact that as people, we were convinced of the idea that one way to save the turtles (laughs) was to stop using plastic straws. That had overwhelming public support. And the government thought, okay, we should maybe introduce a bill to to do this. Whereas with Insulate Britain, they are failing in that aspect. And so I can't see it going any further than protests that just peter out eventually. Because, I mean, face it, this is not a lot of people. It seems to be in my, uh, I read the stat the other day, something like 600 arrests. And it was, I, I believe, I believe but, 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 but I believe, that's significant. I believe it was like 185 people who'd been arrested four or five times. Yeah. So this is not a big group. They don't need to be. And like the fact that they're getting almost as much of a headline as a lot of the Extinction Rebellion efforts get with that small number is an indication that they're doing the right thing. Now, Do you not believe they need public support, though? I don't think you need public support for a lot of things. I think public support is generally not achievable. If you look to the way that um, 
rights for people spread across the US. It wasn't via public support because the people who were comfortable and in the majority never wanted change. It was the it was the massive loud protest voices that made change happen even when they didn't necessarily have the public vote or the public support. I think when you're looking at plastic straws getting turned into paper straws, that's an ineffective method. And the only reason that we settled for that tiny little change instead of settling for some actual decent legislation is because we had so much public support. Right. Because even the average people were like, all right, we need change. The government just did something absolutely tiny so that they could get all the headlines. And then all the public support was done. Everyone's like, well, we did it. Well done. And then the, the things that actually still matter are so much harder to get through because the public's already feeling like they've got their job done, okay. pat themselves on the back, move on, right? So public support isn't the key. Right, right. But two, two final points. I would compare, and this is not quite the same, but the end-of-life bills or the right-to-end-your-own-life bill, which has been talked about for years. It was Margot MacDonald, the uh, independent MSP, who was terminally ill and has since died, who brought that to the Scottish government, first of all, which was basically, right. I am terminally ill, I'm in a lot of pain, yes. I would like the right to end my life. And at the time, it had, you know, people empathise to an extent, yeah. but they took the line to say, well, no, we don't support this. And because there wasn't that public swell, the groundswell of, of support, it didn't happen. Compare that to, for example, gay rights marriage, uh, gay marriage or civil rights, um, all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That generally had the majority-ish of people supporting it, and therefore the government thought, okay, maybe we should talk about bringing this in. Whereas... Because it's insulate Britain, I believe that people are aware of them, absolutely agree. They've got that notoriety, yes, but there is no groundswell for them, for people to say, you know what, yes, this is going to make a big difference. But how many people do you need to believe it, right? For something as small as getting an insulation bill actually passed for a change, right? How many, what, what level of public support do you think you need? Well, we've, we've seen, for example, in the last few months, the, the UK government introduced this idea that they were going to start a, a fund to replace people's old boilers. <laughs> yeah. I think it was something like, was it 450 million? And then Scottish Gas or whoever said, that's only replacing about 90,000 boilers. So, or maybe it was 900,000. So... The, the that's a drop in the ocean for the boiler. So let alone insulating people's houses, it's just not going to happen unless there is that groundswell of support. They need some, but I don't think it's the key. I, I think there's this massive failure of media to cover this idea that you don't need support to get things done. Sometimes you just need to be so much of a hassle that getting the thing done becomes appealing. And that that can come from 5%, 10% of the population kind of just going like, all right, I care about this enough to like comment on things and to talk about things um if you think about the stuff like this is the opposite of course if you think about stuff like anti-vax movements how much airtime they get how much of an effect they have on convincing people right even if the majority of folks don't agree with them um even though they're like the tiniest of tiny populations in the uk anti-vaxxers are a tiny percentage of the population but it feels like they outnumber the pro-vaxxers because they're so loud you don't need everybody to agree with you to be heard and to be loud and to effectively ruin a bunch of people's lives in this instance but in uh 
in insulate britain's instance they're hoping that being loud and annoying and effective and heard will positively affect people's lives far quicker without the support than with it i'm guessing because there's no way that if their goal was to have everybody love them they'd be just doing stuff like just dis- like disturbing right random roads basically okay J- just one final point for me then they this morning this is friday have decided instead just to walk down the side of the motorway, which of course is incredibly dangerous, um, because of the uh, the feedback they got from drivers, which was basically "please stop gluing yourself to roads." Do you think this is as effective? No, because you've talked about the the different ways you can protest. <laughs> Walking down a road, no. Uh, it is, I didn't even know they did that because it hasn't had any headlines, right? <laughs> They've become a non-nuisance. They've become just a thing that people can go- get by. You need to be causing a hassle in some way to get people to know you. They're, if they just keep doing things now that are just casually passable and you can just ignore them and move on with your life, they're going to disappear from the headlines and we're going to forget about them in no time. They, they, you, have to, you have to interrupt stuff. Okay, right, let's move on. Let's talk about the budget. This uh, was from the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, who uh, held out his briefcase as they always seem to do. They always hold that briefcase in a very strange way. It's a straight arm out in front of them. Look at my big red box. Take a picture of it. It's always the picture they use. You know, why can't they just do something different? You know, hold up in like a muscle pose or just like (laughs) raise it straight above your head. You know, that'll be more interesting. Just anything. Better photo. It is a very strange pose. You see the news at 10. It's always the same thing. And it's the chancellor, whoever he is uh, or she is, will be holding out the briefcase straight out in front of them and be doing like a very slow half circle to all the cameras and all the photographers. It's, a, it's, it's very weird. It's I don't so like it. Weird. It's an uncomfortable pose. It's ah. Like, I guess it, it's like because the briefcase is the important thing. The budget is the important thing. But it's not It's not but, in yeah, the briefcase. Like, come on, it, it's weird. It's an empty box. <laughs> it's a prop. I mean, just like put the briefcase down and stand and just like look at everybody. That would be a more interesting picture. It could be, yeah. Or just hold the briefcase like a normal human being. Or just like put the briefcase on the ground, walk away, leave it. Everyone can take a picture of the briefcase. (laughs) Okay, right, anyway, budget happened this week. The uh, think tank, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, responded to it by saying millions of us in the UK will be worse off next year Mm -hmm. amid the spiraling spiraling costs and the rises in tax. So, for example, lower income households who will be already feeling the pain from the cut in universal credit, but with the cost of living also also set to increase faster than the the increase in benefits Mm -hmm. payments, Mm -hmm. then and uh, energy prices, petrol prices, which hit new highs, 10-year record highs this week, there's a lot of difficult months to come. The Chancellor has acknowledged, or rather he did acknowledge in his budget, that families are under strain. But of course, he did nothing about it. So James, <laughs> no, right. just the big picture stuff, first of all, what did you think of this? Uh, I thought it was pretty terrible, um, but but also very revealing uh, of just what Tory government is like. Because when they were talking about the budget, well, f- actually, first of all, they kind of teased the budget before actually telling us like officially about it and apparently that is a thing bad enough that people should quit their jobs for doing um so bye bye sunak you made a mistake um but he won't go um but 
if you look at the way that they presented it, it's like, we're going to be spending this much money on education. It's the most money we've ever spent on education. We're going to be spending this much money on whatever. It's the most money we've ever spent on anything ever. And they did that. For most of the budget, it's like, this is the biggest sum that we've ever spent on this area. And all that shows us is that for the past decade, and it wasn't, I think they were saying it higher than the, anything in the last decade, which is exclusively Tory rule. But it just means that over the last decade, Everything's been getting lower and lower each year, if you look at it compared to inflation, aside from, like, two departments or something ridiculous. And they finally, like, brought numbers back up to higher than they have been as a sum, but higher than they've been compared to the past um, with inflation as a, a variable. Yeah, Only three departments are getting an actual legitimate increase in budget over the last decade, which is just the epitome of Tory rule. That there is just less spending across the board and not really less taxes for any of us normal human beings. We seem to be paying more and more taxes and getting less and less of our, of our cash back with investing it into the country. So... Who's the winners in this situation? We're getting less money spent on us, more money taken out of our pockets, so somebody else must be winning. So just to add some more information to this, this analysis from the uh, Institute of Fiscal Studies suggested that over the next year, middle earners who are on about uh, 25 grand will find that their pre-tax pay will basically fall once the extra income taxes are due so their take-home pay will fall by about 180 quid per year yeah and that's the people as you say apparently who are in the middle yeah yeah so so that there's that then what about the the lowest paid is even more so yeah well what's happened is the tories are realizing and this is what happened in america already that they've squeezed the lower classes basically as much as possible and yet they're continuing to they're going beyond what is possible with the lower class squeeze. So now they're starting to take out the pockets of the middle class more and more and more until the middle class won't really exist. Their goal is to have them and everyone else. And this is just yet more evidence of it. The uh, the analysis here from, from the IFS said that Rishi Sunak's budget was delivered in a very upbeat tone. And <laughs> yeah. that, to me, is the biggest mark of any government speech as long as it's delivered with a smile and lots of enthusiasm then everyone's like oh hey look it's a great thing and it takes someone else to say well hold on a second let's look at what you actually said and according to the ifs the outlook for living standards for the majority of people across britain does not match mr sunak's upbeat tone and because of as we've talked about in the show before the national insurance rise the income tax rises the rising household bills right. despite the fact that all these things are happening and the government recognized they're happening they were too busy saying well hey we've raised the national living wage that's the most important thing yeah even though the, the national living wage starts at what 23 or something for for some reason yeah uh, for the first several years of your working life you can be taken and, advantage right, and, of and exploited <laughs> that's supposed to be good this is not the national minimum wage this is the national living wage. living wage yes yes so the minimum wage has is going up as well but again it's something like eight pounds 80 something i'll have to find it it's a non-impressive figure uh, but it was telling as well that the, some of the biggest headlines were like the government will not be increasing alcohol duty <laughs> it's like all right the great news is that the government is not going to put even more money onto the things that people that are in every class have access to good good they're not taking more money Hey, come on. It's it's another terrible 
um, budget. But again, it, there, it is technically better than the last decade of Tory budget. Right. So. so, so that was the only the only issue which I heard raised, which was almost like, uh, okay, well, there is also this: the Tories in power have been characterised by their austerity measures, the fact that they have been cutting things right. for the best part of a decade. This, as you say, James... Except home office spending. Indeed. This, as you say, though, is essentially the opposite. They're, they're actually attempting to make things happen, despite the fact it's not enough. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the opposite, because they're the same government. This is still the Tory government. And it's just realising that maybe they cut things too much for the last decade, so now they're bringing it back up to like 75% of that cut, 50% of that cut for some departments. Education, I think, is now getting an actual increase over the last decade in terms of spending, but that's after it was down for nine, ten years. So it's not really, if you average them all out, everything's being cut over those ten years. So so th- this idea that they've like kind of done a little U-turn and are actually going to spend money in there is just still a lie. They're still somehow putting us more into debt than most uh, governments would be able to while spending very little money on the things that we actually need as a nation. So it's, it's not good. But hey, it's, it's, it's better than it could have been, which, wow, is impressive. Okay, James, let's move on to some lighter news in the middle where we talk about what we've been watching and we do have a listener review which I'm excited to play. I have a movie which I saw at the cinema this week. What do you have? I I got a TV show. Okay. Technically, I've watched some movies. I could give you a little one-minute talk on some of those as well if you want to, okay. but we'll see how the time goes. Right, fair enough. And if there's if there's one that you think is particularly relevant or interesting or short, then sure. Okay. Let me start. I'm going to start with uh, the movie I saw at the cinema this week because it is still out. It will be out for the next couple of weeks. It is The French Dispatch, which we talked about right. probably six months ago on the show. When a trailer was first released, this is Wes Anderson's new movie, and yeah. it stars everybody. His his usual suspects, all the, all the Wes Anderson classics, all the classics, and a few new faces as well. So this includes Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Francis McDormand, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Seydoux, Benicio del Toro, Timothy Chalamet, Willem Dafoe, Edward Norton, Shirley Ronan, Tony Rivolori, Jeffrey Wright, Matteo Amalric, and loads of other Unrealistic. familiar faces. So this movie is uh, is about a small team of journalists in the 1900s based in the town of. Ennui sur Blasé, which I thought was uh, titillating. This is a boringy boring. Who <laughs> publish a regular, a regular uh, magazine called the French Dispatch. They are right. uh, an, out, an outlet who are based in France. Uh, France? French. Based yeah. in France, but uh, the newspaper that they write for is in Kansas. So that's why it's the French Dispatch. The film oh. consists in a very uh, Wes Anderson style of an obituary, uh-huh. a travel guide, and three stories from said magazine. Wow, that is so that is so Anderson. I love it. it right. Okay. So rather than an actual plot, it's an anthology. It's just like here's it. a story. Okay. There's the end. Right. Here's a story. That's the end. Cool. But it's not. But it's not even story. They're they're like, as I say, it's a travel guide. It's an obituary. So here's a thing. Very artsy. Very Wes. Okay. Okay. 
Okay, so I thought this was delightful. And it's the most Wes Anderson that Wes Anderson has ever been. So stylistically, it is exactly his playbook. It goes from 4-3 aspect ratio to animation to a still image back to 4-3, sometimes all in the one scene. And it's the the quick he's dialogue. Really, he's really just pulling all his films into one, I guess. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's it's absolutely him at the the peak of his powers. And when I say sorry, I, I say quick dialogue. It is lightning speed dialogue. It's the humor which is consistently enjoyable. So rather than it being like a nonstop laugh out loud, right? Yeah. It is just consistently yeah light and funny. I love it. And if you enjoyed uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, which uh, he wrote, directed, is probably best known for, won a bunch of Oscars then the French Dispatch will be right up your street. However, oh. if if you are unfamiliar with Wes Anderson, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. this will be a bit much. Yeah, okay, maybe, so. maybe start with like Fantastic Mr. Fox and move up from there. <laughs> okay, so as I say, the film is split into an obituary for the French Dispatch's editor, who is uh, played by Bill Murray, <gasps> followed by dozens of scene-stealing performances by half of Hollywood. But it's literally blinking, you miss it. In some cases, there are actors who maybe have two 30-second scenes, and that's it. Oh, that's, that's, so, that's delightful, though. It is bold movie-making. Also, Lee Schreiber's on this. He's very good. And as a result, I don't expect, because of how artsy and how unconventional it is, that it will do particularly well at the box office. It may well do well at award season, but this is art right. rather than a conventional movie. Yeah. And I thought it was very enjoyable. Tilda Swinton, in particular, is great. As always. But also big shout out to uh, Benicio Del Toro and Adrian Brody, in particular, who are just wonderful yeah. every time I see them, particularly in these uh, these kind it's of not movies. Surprising. As is Wes Anderson. He's a wonderful man. Oh, I must see this. Uh, yeah. But do be warned, if you are new to this, you may find it a little uh, different. Discombobulating. And also you get, uh, you get shirtless Timothy Chalamet, so I was happy. Oh, wow. Okay. James, uh, let's hear your TV show, and then we'll hear Amel's TV show, which was Taken. Taken as a TV show. I did not know this. Oh, that's an Amazon. I've, yeah, I've seen adverts for that. Okay. Well, let's hear yours first. I watched Star Wars Visions. This is the Star Wars anime shows. Is it on Disney Plus? It's on Disney Plus. What happened was Disney just okay. went to talk to a bunch of uh, anime producers and said, hey, do you want to do some Star Wars stuff? An episode each, maybe? And some of them went, yep. They all pitched episode ideas, and then some of them got greenlit and made into a, a season of nine uh, very, very individual stories. And this is exactly the kind of thing I want from studios. Um, okay. It, it's just really cool to see uh, something like the Star Wars IP being opened up to just a bunch of artists who who both love Star Wars and also love the stuff they make. So therefore they get to combine those two things together into generally wonderful episodes of of, of anime. Now okay. there are some of this which are in, like incredible episodes of TV. Uh, very artistic, stories on point, um music, uh writing, art styles, all uniting perfectly within the Star Wars universe, but Star Wars, but feeling a little bit different because they've all got their own art styles and stuff. And then there's some that are just like a little bit of anime nostalgia. If you aren't an, a fan of the particular studios, you might be a little bit like, well, what on earth was that? And how on earth did Star Wars happen there? Um, right. But if you are, if you like Star Wars and you like anime in general, this is 
perfect. And if you are like Star Wars and you want to dip your toes in anime a wee bit, this could be the thing for you because it's on okay. Disney. So therefore, they, they paid for a lot of decent voice acting for the English dub, I am told, because I didn't watch it in the English dub. Nice. Um, but I am told that it is very enjoyable, even in its English dubbed form with its high quality Disney actors and stuff like that. Um, but my goodness, some of the episodes blew me away with how good they were. I genuinely... Episode one is, is a really good example of this. If you can go and watch episode one of this show, you'll get an idea of what it, what happens when you take a known IP and just get give some random and really well-known uh, um anime house the chance to make a story there and some of these stories are getting like comic book spin-offs maybe seasons and stuff like that there's a lot of rumors going around now so it's really exciting for just for me as an individual oh will there be follow-up to it i'm expecting they might do it again because it is just so beautiful and something that i'm sure everybody involved in it is, is proud of I'm sure the uh, the the production houses are very keen to do it again and I think some of them were kind of making their pilot episodes for seasons. Right, right. I get the feeling because of the effort that went into some of it and how much story they set up but of course couldn't pay off in one episode. I'm guessing that they were gearing up for like we could make a season out of this. What do you think, Disney? <laughs> Give us your money. Yeah. And and I'd love it if they did. Some of them, some of them, I would really enjoy a full season of. Not all of them, but one or two, th- maybe three. So fingers crossed for me. Okay, let's move on. Let's hear our review from ML. Thank you so much for sending it in. If dear listener, you have watched anything, a movie, a TV show, or you had a nice breakfast, you read a book, as I'm currently doing, you played a video game, which I'm currently doing, not right now because that would be impressive, but. You can review it and send it to us, and we'll either play it or read it out. Excellent. Emel has sent us an audio review of the Taken TV show. Here <laughs> yeah. we go. All right. Hello, Seesaw Parade. Seeing as you, you keep asking for them, here I am, back again with another yes. review. We like this it. This time, though, because I feel the reviews I've done in the past have always been about good things I've really enjoyed. So this time, I thought <laughs> I would do a review of something that was total garbage. Excellent. And so my review is for the TV series taken which i i think is meant to be a sort of prequel backstory to the taken films which full disclosure i've never seen so maybe i'm sort of (laughs) missing an important piece of the puzzle there what we see in this series is um the main character brian mills and i I just think can i just say as a side note what a hilarious name for like he's not meant to be this sort of cool kick-ass undercover guy called (laughs) brian lovely love it Basically, Brian and his mates are, are, they've teamed together, they're working for, I mean, I'm not clear who they're working for. It's not the government of of themselves. I I don't really know. And, you know, they are the goodies and they they work out what the baddies are going to do and stop them in their tracks. And to be fair, good guy stuff. action movies, you know, action TV series, whatever, they're not really my sort of genre of choice. So perhaps if you are an action fan, you would enjoy all the sort of sequences and things, Maybe. Um, which are, are quite impressive. It's obviously had quite a lot of money spent on it. Um, but overall, I feel like it's just very confusing and it's really hard to work out who is who, <laughs> why they're doing what they're doing, who they're working for, like what day is it? It's just um, all a, a bit of a muddle. And we do understand a little bit about the main lad, Brian, and his sort of backstory and things. But the other characters are just presented with really no backstory at all. Um, So I had actually said to Johnny, I think about halfway through the first series, 
do you know something? Could you actually tell me anything personal about any of these characters? And um, oh, no. his response was, can you tell me any of their names? Which wow. I think is probably an indicator of how, um, how poorly written they were. They're important characters. So overall, it was, I think confounding and <laughs> frustrating and like I say didn't really connect with any of the characters or in fact know any of the names apart from Brian's of course of course um but I will say this I actually kind of in a way enjoyed watching the series because brain enough I think in this stage, you know, whenever you want to watch something, I don't know about you guys, but I will always sort of jump on Rotten Tomatoes and have a read of their the reviews and the score and things. And it can put you off just watching anything that's below sort of an excellent par because right. we have so much choice, which in a way is great. Also, there is something to be said about watching just really a show that is pure garbage Absolutely. and just enjoying it. You know, we'd quite often have a few drinks and yeah. do a bit of a running commentary on how Brian and his mates were getting on and there was something really fun about that so yeah next time you come across a show that has 32% on Rotten Tomatoes don't let it stop you just pretend you're on Gogglebox and you'll have a great time right well that is it my trash review thank you and farewell it was, it was a 10 out of 10 review. I mean, an excellent review of what clearly was not a 10 out of 10 show. Indeed. But that, I, I completely agree with that last point. Watching garbage stuff yeah. sometimes is good. It's a brain off, enjoyment on. It's really possible. It's underrated as a pastime. Okay, we've got a couple of trailers to get into. The first one I'm not going to play because there's only three words of dialogue in the entire trailer. But it is the trailer, the first teaser for Lighty Ear. Lighty Ear. Yeah, good one. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Lighty Ear, which is the prequel slash origin story, I can't believe I'm saying this, of Buzz Lightyear. Right, yeah. Well, is now, it? Jay, hold on, hold on. It's confusing. When I watched this trailer, right. and I would, again, I'd urge listeners, if you're listening to this, go watch the trailer first. Because yes. as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, isn't Buzz meant to be a toy? And suddenly he's in space. Suddenly he's got other, there's other characters, human characters he's interacting with. Like, this is a really deep dive. Is this like, is the kid some sort of mastermind? He's created all this space stuff. And then it turns out, no, this is meant to be the story of the character who inspired the toy. Yeah. That's what's happening. No, but it's it's metafiction. I believe it's the, I believe it's the, the reason that the Buzz Lightyear toys exist but that is a fictional story in the toy story universe okay okay so I, so it's a fictional story i'm pretty story. sure yeah i'm pretty sure we're watching a fictional a fiction within a fiction so a fake movie inside the fake toy story universe yeah i believe because that leaves the options for getting like what is it zerg or whatever in there because Zerg can't really be a real thing, right? Right, right, and right. Aliens okay. and stuff. So well, I believe we're watching a sci-fi in the Pixar universe. A sci-fi animation, which is a fiction inside a fictional Toy Story universe. Again, sentences I never yeah, thought I would utter. But I don't think I don't think that's going to matter. I don't think I think we can just treat it as a sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> what did you what did you think of the trailer? It looked like a space film. I did find it really weird how he flew really close to the sun, but the sun was still a small circle. 
Um, but that was about my only physics complaint I had as I was watching this <laughs> okay. fiction fiction trailer. Um, but I don't know. It doesn't look particularly special, especially considering how how like heartfelt and how uh, genuine Pixar stuff can feel. This didn't feel very much of anything but it was just a teaser so hey get your get your get your brains excited about the idea of watching a pretend spaceman go to pretend space that was the idea that i or the thought that crossed my mind was essentially what am i watching here and it is as you say an animated toy yeah who who goes to space yeah at the end i read the top comment and it was it was the quote from the original film which is years of academy training wasted (laughs) i thought i sat there i just laughed i thought that is such a good line but and that's what i think is is going to be really interesting with this uh lighty ear film yeah is can it capture the magic of what made particularly in the original that buzz character so engaging and so funny yeah i I, again you know i'm unsure if you can capture lightning in a bottle twice because now we're in the world where we are making prequels and creating universes i mean i'm sure woody yeah there must be a woody prequel on the way as well (laughs) yeah there better be some gritty pixar cowboy (laughs) film as well about the character who inspired the character that is woody an outlaw i mean they did have their tv show in the uh in the Toy Story, right? We saw the Woody TV show. Oh, yeah, precisely. Yeah, so that's already. We've canon. already seen fiction in the fiction. We've seen Woody's fiction already. This is just them doing the whole thing again, but bigger. Uh, the the difference, I guess, is that Buzz Lightyear. We're going to be watching the film of Buzz as he was in his like first five minutes out of the box, where he was still being a space ranger. But but, but he's not a toy. He's an actual person with no self awareness of toy. That's what I mean. A lot of the things that we like about Buzz is the stuff that happens after he's got a bit of self-awareness. Oh no, I'm just a toy. Yep. I've got a lot of conflict now. How do I deal with this? Whereas we're watching the Buzz that's just out of the box zapping people with his lasers and stuff like that. That guy wasn't cool. He was obnoxious. Also, is it? Uh, it's Chris Evans, Captain America, voicing Buzz. I'll allow that. He's a good guy. I like it. Yeah. It's, I think it's a shame we can't have the same voice, but, you know, people age. Indeed. Okay, there was a second trailer this week. It was Uncharted with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. It's the movie which has been created from the game, the Uncharted games. Yeah. Let's have a listen. There are places out there you can't find on any map. They're not gone. They're just lost. Hey, kid. A little young for a bartender, aren't you? A little old for prom, aren't you? Everything in here. Why the map? This is the path that Ferdinand Magellan took to sail around the world. You know your history. It's the biggest treasure that's never been found. Five billion easy. Right. (laughs) James. Let me tell you, the only thing this, this film is missing is the rock. Okay. Because it looks like every single trailer for a film that features The Rock, but it just doesn't have The Rock in it. That's fair. Which means it's going to be a terrible film. (laughs) So the track record, if you cast your mind to any movie which has been created off a game, is exceedingly poor. There are... Yeah, the turnover rate is bad. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, for example, the rate of uh, historical stories, which are movies, books, which are now movies, biopics... All every other genre 
of something which has been translated into a movie yeah. does have a more more hits than misses. Yes. I am yet to think of a, or maybe there's maybe one or two games which have been made films there are, which yeah. have actually worked. Now, I don't, I'm unsure why that, you know, I, I don't know why there is such a, a terrible miss record. However, I do. this film, having watched the trailer, having seen how this is put together, how it looks, the tone of it, is just, I'm not interested in this whatsoever. Um, yeah, the reason that game films fail is because the companies pick up only the things from the game that are like iconic, but they don't take up the things that were made the game a success because then they'd just be remaking the game, but okay. without the interactive part. So they drop the stories. They don't do the copy-paste story, which, you know, some of these games are popular because of their story. So making a film out of that story might be the reason that a film could be successful. And a, a, a game from Naughty Dog, like, who are very story-driven, has potential for that. But if you just ignore the story and just try to make your own thing, it might be less successful. The risk is, if a film company comes in, gets a good game that is beloved, let's say The Last of Us, which is getting made, and they just do a copy-paste of the story, everybody's going to say, like, well, what was the point in making the film? You could just you can just play the game and get the story, but even better. So there's not really a win-win for companies when they're picking up a game IP, and because they, they have to face the challenge of choosing between being a little bit boring but doing a good story that's already in like popular and a success or trying to be a bit creative and then like losing the the thing that kept the the feeling of the game that was already beloved in place so it's a, it's a, it's, not, it's a lose a lose so it makes sense that the turnover rate is like 1 in 100 um, and then this film definitely looks like while it is kind of borrowing from the games and therefore it might have some successes it is just looking like another High effort, but in terms of budget, but low effort in terms of creativity, release of a film. It doesn't look exciting. And the trailer ended on a cliffhanger, and then, oh no, it showed you what happened after the cliffhanger. (laughs) Indeed. Okay, one more piece of movie news before we uh, move on. This is Dune, or Dune, which is now out in cinemas. I'm yet to see it. We are yet to see it, but it will happen. I'm convinced it will happen uh, in the near future. Yes, yeah. This is the the news that Dune has now been greenlit for a sequel. So, Indeed. rather than saying at the time to Denis Villeneuve, who's the director, yeah, of course you can split this 412-page book into to, to two f- films, they let him do the first part. And basically, we're waiting to see how it did, how it turned out, before they allowed the second part. They have now yeah. said... The second part is coming. They are looking at a theatrical window. And I'm saying, I'm using the word theatrical there intentionally, of October 2023. Yeah. So that's a couple of years yet. Now, the box office returns for Dune are still coming in. And they're okay. But it seems to me like it's it's a little bit over what people were expecting. So Indeed, it's doing better than people thought it would, which is which was a, a lowball estimate. Right, so, so as of uh, recording and as of the article I've got here, which was uh, from Thursday, it's made $223 million yeah. worldwide on a $165 million budget. Now, that's just for the production. The marketing is often an extra $100 million on top of that. Yes. So clearly, Warner Brothers and the other people behind the scenes are happy with both how the film's been received and reviews, uh, I've tried to avoid them, uh, seemingly have been good. Yes. And people are clearly going to see it. 
And so part of this negotiation for a part two, I mentioned theatrical, was that the movie is going to to cinemas, it's going to theatres, because right now, when it debuted... It also debuted on streaming, HBO Max, in the States. Exactly, yeah. And a lot of people in the industry, we've talked about this before, have a problem with that because it means that rather than going out and buying a ticket and contributing to the box office, it's well, you're, it's streaming. It's, just a, it's on a streaming platform, yeah. It just makes a little bit of money by having people have their subscriptions active, which feels less real. Right. So what do you think of this news then? No, the great news that we're getting a sequel. Um, I've not seen the first one, but I love this. I love the the story. I've already read it. And I have been told that if you're a casual viewer of films, you might have to prepare yourselves for a lower dump of a film because if you haven't read the books, there's a lot to keep up with. Um, right. So I'm excited for for the second one. I I'm I, I, I it is a shame to see the the box office numbers getting a, taking a hit because of uh, streaming releases, but that's just how things are working right now. I'm glad that the studios are probably taking that into account when planning for like sequels and stuff like that. They're probably seeing that hey, we made this much money in pandemic-y, streamy times. We can probably make enough on a sequel to make it worth it. So they're going for it. And this film speaks back to our last talking points of game trailers. Yep. When they made this film, they didn't take like the three good lines or the three favorite lines from the Dune book and the th- favorite characters and make up their own story. They're doing a faithful adaptation of a story they love. And Denis Villeneuve loves Dune and he says so all the time. It's one of his favorite novel, I believe, um, or at least one of. And doing a faithful ad- adaptation of a beloved story works so i think we should see more of these faithful adaptations when it comes to making game films as well wow i've tied the whole thing together Okay, James, let's uh, talk about some news in brief, shall we? Four stories to get through. Let's start with the story which broke just a few hours after we published the last episode. Yes. And this was the shooting um, on the set of the film Rust, in which actor Alec Baldwin accidentally shot dead the cinematographer Helena Hutchins and wounded the director. So when this first appeared on my... uh, I got a notification for it. I was genuinely shocked. I couldn't believe what I was reading. Insane reading, yeah. Alec Baldwin had shot and killed a cinematographer. I I knew instantly it wasn't intentional, but still, horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Yeah, awful. A week on from this, and we'll talk about how this this actually happens. Um, The investigators in uh, prosecutors in New Mexico, which is where the, the shooting happened, have said that criminal charges may yet still be filed over the shooting. Yeah. Investigators said they'd taken a lead projectile from the shoulder of the director and that it Meaning appeared a to be a, a live round. Yes, that, that's, that's jargon for bullet. Yeah. And they also said that there seemed to be some complacency around safety on the set. Also on the day of the shooting... Yeah, this is the mind-melting part. Right. On the day of the shooting, they had other cast... Uh, not cast members, production staff, who walked out because of conditions on the, on the movie. Yeah. And it appeared to be like one of the people who was involved, it may well have been the assistant director, Dave Halls, has had previous for safety incidents on site. And what appears to have happened so far, what's been confirmed, is that two other people had handled the gun 
before it was given to Mr. Baldwin. One of them was the assistant director. The other was the film's armorer, uh, Hannah Gutierrez Whose Reed. job it is to hand the gun over. It shouldn't have gone through the AD. Precisely, right. And what was shouted, and this has been confirmed, was cold gun. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have to. Yeah, they did the procedure of confirming that the gun was safe. They just didn't confirm the gun was safe. The huge thing to me is that this was even possible. It is quite literally someone's job to make sure this doesn't happen. And they failed. So, yeah, this is this is the bit which which staggers me. Someone is, has lost their life yeah. because someone failed to check if there was anything in the gun. And But, the, but there's the second Beyond question. That, yeah. Why was there a live round there anyway? Now, there's this, I think it's not confirmed confirmed, but it's not speculation. It's somewhere in between. That the situation on set is that they had, it's like a cool gun, like a vintage one or a rare one or something they had. I think it's a Colt, yeah. Yeah, so what was happening was between days of shooting or something, people were having a good time and actually shooting this gun for fun. So they were using live rounds in their off time, taking it to the range, giving it a couple of shots, or just going out back or whatever, giving it a couple of shots. So maybe that's the uh, AD, maybe that's the armorer, maybe it's both of them, maybe it's even more people all having fun. Um... And quotes, I'm saying, because, like, come on, it can't be that great. Um, and this led to live rounds being left in the weapon. So they'd take it out, shoot it a few times, but they'd leave rounds in there because they're idiots. And this wasn't the first, like, misfire on set. Apparently, uh, people had sent messages saying that the set was unsafe because there had already been two or three misfires off live rounds, which is the part that blew my mind because I thought that this was just going to be another instance of they loaded the blank when they didn't intend to because blanks can kill people and blanks have killed people on movie sets before. Um, but it was an actual round. It was an even bigger mistake than loading the gun at the wrong time with the artistic blanks. Um, and if this, like, this is... A hundred percent, in my not very expert opinion, a criminal matter. This is negligence to the highest degree. If your job is to make sure the gun doesn't have blanks, then to have it have live rounds is so much worse. So, yeah, my only question on the back of that then is, I, I suspect the charges will not be levied at Alec Baldwin, despite the fact he was the one who fired. No, it won't be. It won't be on him. He's he's going through the protocols basically he's been told gun is safe use it freely basically or use it as we've told you to he used it as he's been directed and has ended in catastrophe um death and injury which is awful and awful for him as well having done this this is going to be a yeah, thing that yeah. haunts him i am certain for the rest of his days awful for the way people have been responding to this story um it was shocking to me some of the headlines that were so vague but so direct saying baldwin shoots someone on set one why are we saying it's him before we've got actual reports on it two why are we being vague and implying that he actually did it maliciously in your headlines okay um awful and then awful on the way that we've seen certain people in certain groups respond to this where they're celebrating this gun mishap because it was baldwin because baldwin made fun of trump or something a disgusting story, misreported mis, uh, and then received awfully, and it should have never happened. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, COP26, which is getting underway in Glasgow uh, as of Monday for, for two weeks. Yeah. The heads of states of various countries will be in the city. The city is... 
essentially in lockdown in terms of streets are closed, bridges are shut More off. More streets than I expected are closed, yeah. Yeah, and, and traffic, I mean, I was out this morning. Footpaths are closed. Yeah, I was out this morning, and even at that stage, we're yet to even start, and the roads were chaos, so that's not great. Yeah. But anyway, this is, uh, yes, ahead of COP26, a BBC leak has found that Saudi Arabia, Japan, and Australia are among the countries who have asked the UN to play down the need to move rapidly away from fossil fuels. Yes. It, uh, yeah, this this lobbying, of course, raises some uh, some pretty important questions ahead of this summit. We had, for example, the uh, Saudi government who had written to the UN to demand that phrases like the need for urgent and accelerated mitigation actions at all scales should be taken out of these reports. We also have the Australian government rejecting the conclusion that closing coal-fired power plants was necessary, even though... Which is, like, none of this is surprising. ...ending the use of coal is one of the main objectives of the COP26 conference. And, uh, yeah, this, again, as you say, unsurprising, James, but um, some egg on the faces of these countries. Yeah, I'm glad that the leaks happen because we're seeing that they actually are doing what they think they're doing. The coal exporters of the world, the oil exporters of the world are trying to tell everybody, hey, don't take our money away so quickly, please. Which isn't surprising at all. It is scummy. We do know that we need to do this, otherwise we're all going to like have serious catastrophes for the rest of our days. Um, and we probably are going to have them anyway, so just come on, do your best. Um, help us out. But no, they're all lobbying. And there's the different levels of lobbying. There are some that is that are these extreme lines of like, remove the language, don't imply, don't, don't imply this, don't imply that. And then there's other ones that are like saying... Well, you're not caring about carbon capture enough. Like, maybe we should be focusing a little bit more on carbon capture and mitigating the carbon release and things like that instead of just outlawing stuff. But that sucks too. I don't like that take because carbon capture is so unknown still and so expensive still and maybe not feasible that it can't be taken seriously at something like COP28 whatever yet. It can't be taken seriously until COP like 40 something or whatever, right? Okay. Um, so all of these countries that are on this list, they're losing points, but it's not going to change anything. Yeah. And I just hope the lobbying has not been effective. So uh, on the back of that as well, Nicola Sturgeon has asked protesters targeting COP26 <laughs> not to disrupt the daily lives of Glaswegians. Oh, 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 oh block the motorway. Uh, <laughs> I would love it. So It would be awful for a lot of people, but very effective. Okay, so that is, uh, yeah... Basically, like telling a kid, don't press that big red button. Exactly. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Just give them even better plans. They might. Who knows what they were planning? But now they know. They know how to get attention. Now, they, I don't think it's going to change. Her saying that isn't going to change anything. Whatever protests were planned were already planned yep, yep. and they're not going to get changed just because Nicholas said, "Hey, please don't." It's a shame for a lot of people in Glasgow because uh, traffic and stuff pretty bad already. Getting around the city, pretty bad already. We don't have really the best infrastructure. We don't have a lot of investment from our council right now into like keeping the city clean and efficient. And this is only going to make it worse for a couple of weeks. And it probably won't go any better afterwards. So it kind of sucks for everyone in Glasgow. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what we get out of this. But if we get a like an agreement named after the city, maybe it will boost tourism or something. I don't know. Okay. Uh, penultimate story. Let's talk about fishing. Oh, yeah. This is uh, post-Brexit. Sorry, that sounded almost like... Never mind. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fishers. (laughs) Post-post-Brexit fishing. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the UK have recalled the French ambassador 
because of a ongoing and escalating row over rights to fish. Right, yeah, yeah. Classic. So France has said it could stop British boats from landing if the dispute over licences yes. is not resolved uh, by Tuesday and have so far seized a boat and fined another during checks off uh, the town of Le Havre on Thursday. So yeah. apparently the number 10 sources are amazed and concerned at this escalating fishing row, describing oh, the developments in recent days as extraordinary, and the UK apparently could respond in turn if France continues with their threats. So, uh, James, again, this seems to be I mean, a continual story which we will perpetually return to every few months. And uh, frankly, I don't really care. Yeah, and we're not going to be the winners. The French seized a boat that wasn't on the list. It wasn't on the list yep. for unknown reasons. I'm putting that in quotes because the very next sentence in all the reports is like, but they probably changed their engine and therefore lost their license. Yep. So, of course they did. They're protecting their their, their watches from an unlicensed vessel. Whether, it doesn't matter how the vessel lost its license. It did. That's the fact. And if it's a UK government slip up or the owner of the ship slip up, that's on them. The French are just going through procedure. And I do find it quite ironic that the UK and the people in the in the UK are going, oh, we're going to take this to the European Commission. It's like, well, we we kind of wanted to leave that thing. <laughs> it's just what you'd expect. It's Brexit screwing over another industry who voted for Brexit. Indeed. Okay, one final story. And this is the news that Facebook is changing the name of its parent company to Meta. Yes. In a uh, a major rebrand. So in the same way that Google did this a few years ago, basically what they're doing is the um, the parent company, the one that owns all the stuff, yeah. is being rebranded. So rather than any of the actual websites or, or you know, sites, logos, brands changing, yeah. it's the parent company which is changing. So now, uh, as Google did with Alphabet, which has kind of failed to catch on anyway, Facebook has now changed it's supposed to. its name to Meta. What do you think of this? Well, there's the two aspects. Actually, there's three aspects. Let's go for the quick one first. Much like Alphabet, I'm very surprised the name was available. I wonder how much money they they spent on it. A lot. Probably. Um, Second aspect is I don't think the name of the parent company is really supposed to change too much. It is supposed to lighten public opinion on on things so let's let's take an example oculus is owned by meta now instead of oculus being owned by facebook so oculus yep. is going to be less affected by facebook as a platform's bad pr um and and bad opinion publicly so which like if it is an effective tool of course they've done this it's why google did it too every company's going to be doing it i'm surprised amazon hasn't done it yet um, but I guess maybe the Amazon isn't hated across the world quite as much. Not yet, anyway. What What do you uh, say to to people who would accuse Facebook of doing this mainly for PR purposes? So it's like a well, new it, thing, a new shiny thing. Kind of, but it, it, it's a it's a business thing. Of course they've done it. It's PR, but yeah, like of course they have. They don't want all of their other b- things that they own to be negatively affected by Facebook's increasing bad name. Okay, so. It's going to work, and then Meta can buy more stuff, and it won't be Facebook buying it. Like if I would, like maybe WhatsApp is going to now say owned by Meta instead of owned by Facebook, or brought to you by Meta instead of Facebook, and people have yeah. a less negative correlation, and they won't hate WhatsApp quite so much. Okay, it won't it won't work on me. I already hate WhatsApp on its own. Um, and then there's the other thing where Facebook are just trying to create and own this idea of their metaverse, which, which- if you look into what they're doing. This feels a bit 
like icky a little bit scummy sorry sorry just to explain because i saw this quote mark zuckerberg saying yeah meta so we can create our own metaverse what does that mean well hard to explain really briefly but try i I believe their end goal is to own all the things that we need (laughs) much like amazon's end goal is to own all the things that we need they want to be able to provide you with everything um, and in Facebook's situation, they're, they're also leaning into the VR aspect of it, which is why they're going for this cool Metaverse brand. Um, but it's a, it's a discussion I'm sure we'll be having again, um, more informed in the future as they do expand into this really cool new idea of like just generally having more stuff. I'd be really interested to look at uh, essentially success rates of companies which have rebranded. I know Facebook and uh, and Google and the like are too big to fail, but yeah. from my own anecdotal memory, I would consider that most people who rebrand don't tend to pick up business after that. So I was considering a cease operate rebrand, but decided probably not. <laughs> I think there's been some success stories, but I don't remember any off the top of my head. So, oops. Hello and welcome to beta. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> the beta verse. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Beta. Yes. We're, we're beta than you <laughs> thank you very much for listening to the show that brings us to the end of another episode oh with a tremendous amount of news discussed but dear listener if you have any different views or perhaps you agree please do get in touch let us know what you think at Operate on twitter Operate at gmail.com get your reviews in also a shout out to tom who's just messaged me uh, he's recovering from a shoulder operation oh and said he now has no excuse to send in a review so yes i'm waiting for that Please do get them in. All the best to you. Okay, and all the best to you, James. Have a great weekend. Oh, all the best to you, Colin. <laughs> Have a good one. Don't hesitate to contact me. No, thank you. That, that's to everyone. Bye. Specifically Colin. Don't hesitate to contact Colin. <laughs>